Well, good evening, church family. <laughs> Some of you needed a nap. Uh-huh. Well, good to have you back. Appreciate you having us in. Now, very quickly, before I go any further, I do have a thank you note that I would like to read. <clears throat> and the thank you is from the Summerdorfs. And uh, we've grown fond of doing this because uh, we're under very strict budget cuts. And rather than mailing it, we save the stamp and we just read the thing instead, all right? Dear Dr. McGovern and church family, <laughs> a quick note to thank you for the opportunity to worship and fellowship together in the Lord, to meet some new folks and be reacquainted with old friends as well. A blessing to see what the Lord continues to accomplish in your midst. And we appreciate the wonderful song service, the sweet fellowship we enjoyed in our brief time together. Many thanks for your continuing prayers and support throughout the years. You will never know what an encouragement you are to us in our ministry across America. So, so refreshing. Special thanks for the wonderful meal you afforded us between services. And thank you in advance for the love gift bestowed upon us, always so generous. can only hope that somehow we have been as great a blessing to you as you have been to us. Already looking forward to our next time together. Until then... May you continue faithful to our King. All our love and gratitude, Brother Dave and Miss Deb, with our ministry verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 5, P.S. Don't forget to finish well. Amen? So, Pastor, if you come, I'm going to give you this. I'm also going to give you the uh, last two ministry newsletters. Uh, one of them is on the Corvette. And here's a few copies, blank copies. Sometimes people say, hey, I want to look at that message again, and so there's some handouts, and you'll use those later on as well. Now, I, I just want to say a little disappointed. Some of you were more concerned about my Corvette than you were me, seeing me. It's like, where's the Corvette? Well, I'm here. Yeah, but where's the Corvette? You know, so uh, the newsletters do contain the info, and I gave one of them to your pastor, and we do have other newsletters. But last year on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, we donated our Corvette to the uh, America on Wheels Museum in Allentown, Pennsylvania. It's a 52,000 square foot auto museum. And Allentown, where this museum is located, is an hour and a half from Ground Zero, one direction, and a little over an hour and a half to Shanksville, where Flight 93 splashed down, going the other direction. Our car has all the 9-11 victims' names under the hood, all 3,030. And then on the trunk are all the troops who died in Iraq, Afghanistan, 6,318. And so that car is on permanent display, ground level, huge ceremony. Politicians came in, wonderful opportunity to give the gospel. And now every day that museum's open, we have a, the gospels going forth via QR code on pedestal as well as a looping production uh, that has been subtitled. So that car, as Brother Stan Roach would say, Brother Roach always said it this way, the car is a burning bush. It makes people stop to see what, what it's all about, and they get to hear from God. And so every day that museum is going, that thing is being used. I talk to them frequently, uh, and uh, just it's giving out the gospel on a daily basis. So uh, just so you know, if you want to see the Corvette, you got to go to Allentown, Pennsylvania if you want to see that car again, all right? So pray that that continues. They have every intention. Uh, uh, being frank, a bunch of lost staff members, vice president, board of directors, Catholic turf, they're just thrilled with the car and the message, and that just goes out all the time, every single day. And then, ladies, my wife has a second book. She is an author. 
The first one, becoming a glorious daughter of the king. The second one, just a closer walk. And both of these books have really struck a chord and met a need. So if you want to get one, see her afterwards, gritty and gracious. And I proof these things. I'm her editor. I'm the one who goes through this thing. And I, go, and I come under conviction reading her writing. So I'm going to tell you, it's gritty and gracious and a real help to Christian women today. And so if you want one, you see her. Take your Bibles tonight and let's go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. If you would like a handout and you don't have one, just flip your hand up real quickly. Luke chapter 8. And also there is a little card called, Hello, my name is David and this is my story. Special thanks to an old friend, John House, for being here. John and I go back decades and worked in the business together and uh, just a blessing to have you, John, and all the, the years. We miss Marla. We miss Marla horribly so, but John, we appreciate seeing you faithful to the Lord. Good to have you here tonight uh, and just appreciate being our guest. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. I want to begin reading in verse number 4. A very familiar story, a very familiar parable. Raise your hand if you need a hand up. My ushers are flagging me. The junior ushers are flagging me down. Amen. Here they come, the little guys. By the way, I did get a kick out of Rob Wright's testimony. Three teenage boys, well-behaved, singing songs about the Lord. Truly, angels unaware. Truly, angels unaware. I thought of that. Yep. Didn't see that one coming. Amen. Luke chapter 8, verse 4. And when much people were gathered together, and were come to him out of every city, this would be Jesus Christ, he spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and soon as it was sprung up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground, and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Tonight, out of Luke chapter 8, I want to consider a thought I've entitled, The Three Principles of the Harvest. I'm going to look at three principles of the harvest tonight. Not to be confused with laws of the harvest, but three principles of the harvest tonight that should guide and govern you and me as we consider the need of people today across our nation. Three principles of the harvest. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you tonight for just the great privilege and honor to be in your house and with your people. Thank you for the day that you saved us. We thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're grateful, Lord, for our salvation because of him. And we ask in his name your blessing on our time. As we look out at the need of our day, Lord, help us today to be about your business, not simply ours. Help us, Lord, and use us to make a difference in the day in which we live. And Lord, if there is someone here not saved, I do pray you'd open their eyes, and Father, they'd see their need for Christ and trust Him tonight. We ask your blessing on our time now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Three principles of the harvest. Number one, principle number one concerning the souls of men, if you have your, your pen or pencil handy, principle number one is this, the field has only one owner. The field has only one owner. He tells us that in, Luke, in Ezekiel 18, Jesus Christ said, Behold, all souls, God said, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul 
of the Son. This field of souls out there has only one owner. Who is he? You can write it down. He is the Lord of the harvest. He is the Lord of the harvest. Go back to Matthew with me and notice how he reconfirms this. In Matthew chapter 9, look with me in verse number 37. Matthew 9, 37. Jesus Christ is looking out at the scattered sheep. Verse 36. He sees the incredible need. And look at how he responds to that need in verse 37 of Matthew chapter 9. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Let's just pause for just a moment there. I think it's worthy of saying this. You know, when you look out at the need today, there's no shortage of need. There's no shortage of lost people today. There's no shortage of broken homes. There's no shortage of teenage suicides. Y'all with me? I mean, the need is ubiquitous. It's giant. The shortage is not the need. Notice the shortage is found in the laborers that that don't go to meet that need. Notice how he prays. He says in verse 38, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers, notice this, into, little word, his harvest. Isn't that interesting? You know, principle number one, it seems so small, but it's really, really big. Principle one, this field of souls has only one owner. You know, it's kind of like this. There may be many laborers, but there's only one owner. How many of you have ever invited somebody to church? Anybody ever invited somebody to church? What do you say when you invite them? Come to, what is it? My church or our church, right? Isn't that what you say? And that's good. You ought to have some ownership. If you're a member here and all you do is talk about their church, you have a spiritual problem, all right? So there should be some ownership there, amen? Well, why don't you move it to a higher level? And I know, I get this, but this isn't your church. This isn't your pastor's church. This is his church. This is his church, amen? This assembly belongs to Jesus Christ. And, and, you know, that just moves it to another level. When you and I go out into the field of souls to witness for our king, that's just not any old field. That's the king's field. And that ought to bring our best response. Amen. That ought to draw from us our greatest effort. Listen, if it was your field, maybe you let the weeds grow. My field, maybe I wouldn't really care how it was, but it's not. Those souls, Jesus died for them. You didn't. That's his field, and that ought to, that's the king's field. That ought to bring our best effort as we go out to deal with lost men, lost women, and boys and girls. Amen? Amen. Principle number one is a big principle. And it's simply this. The field has only one owner. The song says it well in the harvest field. Now ripened, there's a work for all to do. Hark, the voice of God is calling to the harvest, calling you. Principle one, the field has only one owner. Principle number two, jot this down. The second principle of the harvest I find is this. The laborers should have only one desire. The laborers should have only one desire. What would that be? Well, to promote and exalt Him. Write that down. To promote and exalt Him. To do His will, not ours, because it is His field. And she should want to do the owner's will when you go out into that field of souls. 
And notice one of God's great desires, Second Peter 3, don't need to turn there, verse 9. We read it this morning. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen? That's one of God's great desires, is that men and women, boys and girls, would be saved. Jesus died exactly for that need. But I wonder, is that your desire? Go to Romans 10 very quickly with me. And then I want to go to principle number 3. Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul used to be Saul, converted now. And notice in Romans chapter 10, his attitude toward his people, the Jewish people. Look at what he says in Romans 10 in verse number 1. He says, Brethren, my heart's desire... And prayer to God for Israel is this, and this is the Jew, that they might be, say that next word with me out loud, saved. Say it again, it's a good word, saved. Amen? Notice after Saul gets converted, becomes Paul, suddenly the owner's will become the laborer's will. Suddenly, God's will for those people out there becomes His will. He doesn't want them to perish either. He wants them to have everlasting life. He wants them to be saved. Is that your will tonight? Could it be seen in your actions, your activities, your investments, that you actually want to see people come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior? It ought to be there as a laborer in His field. So principle one, the field has only one owner. The principle number two, the laborers, therefore, should have only one desire. But principle three, this is an interesting little principle. Go back to Luke chapter eight. And notice with me, principle number three, this parable of the sower and the seed. Principle three is the one I want to drill down on just for a moment here in our time together. Principle three is this. You might want to jot this down, Luke chapter eight. The sowers... This is so profound, so simple. The sowers have only one task. The sowers have only one task. What is the task of a sower? You can write it down to sow the seed. That's what sowers do. Because sowers know no seed sown, no harvest reaped. A lot of seed sown, a lot of harvest reaped. Y'all with me? We understand that. I'm a farm boy. And so the sowers have this simple little task. It's what sowers do. And that is, they sow the seed. And what seed are you and I called to sow? Well, look with me in Luke chapter 8. Look with me. Verse 5, the Bible says, A sower went out to sow his seed. There's the task of a sower. Now, what is that seed? Verse 11. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. That's the seed we sow. And let me say this. That is powerful seed. You say, how powerful? Go back to Isaiah 55. Notice with me how powerful the Word of God is. It self-proclaims. It shares with you how powerful God's Word is. Isaiah 55, look at what's said in verse number 8. Isaiah 55 and verse number 8. The Lord says this in Isaiah 55, verse number 8. He said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, look with me in verse number 10 of Isaiah 55. For as the rain cometh down, and, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. Here it comes, verse 11. So shall my word be, God says, that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, which means empty, wasted, useless. But it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Wow. Isaiah 55 says this, God's word is never a waste of time to sow in the heart of someone else. That's literally what he's saying. It's not going to come back empty. It always brings a return of some sort, whatever that return will be. I want to ask you a question. Do you and I really believe that? I think we struggle. I think we struggle with that promise that it's never a waste of time to give God's word out to someone else. You want to know why we struggle? Because of who we are as Americans? How do Americans operate? I'll tell you who we are. We're the ones standing in front of a microwave screaming at it to hurry up. Isn't that the truth? Why do you think FedEx and UPS are just doing nothing but go, everybody wants it now. Amen? And we take this impatient spirit right into our Christianity and we take it right into our, our witnessing for the Lord. Here's how we do it. We say, you know, well, I know I ought to witness, so okay, I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab a tract. I'm going I'm to give something out. And so we go ahead and knock a door, or we meet somebody and say, uh, my, my, my name's David, and, and, and I'm from, you know, Independent Baptist Church Anchorage, and I, I just want to know, are you going to heaven when you die? And here's something that will tell you how to get there. And then we stand there and wait. Okay. Huh. Sowed the seed. Nothing happened. Huh. That didn't work. You know something I learned as a farm boy? The day you put the seed in the ground isn't the day you get a crop. And you recognize in America we're fast becoming a major mission field. The average person doesn't even know what the Bible says. They don't even know Bible stories. This old one, two, three, pray after me day has fled. It fled the day I got saved. I never bought into that. I never did. I, I don't believe you're saved by praying. I believe you're saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that may manifest itself in a prayer, but you're saved by faith. But we take this impatient spirit, and we want it to happen now. We sow the seed, and it's like, wow, man, nothing. I, I've sowed the seed today, and there's no crop. Yeah, you know, could you imagine as a farm boy, if that was my spirit and attitude when Dad told me to go take the 160 acres and, and drill it with oats? I'd have put it in, and I'd have come back and said, Dad, that was a waste of time. Next time you ask me to do that, I'm not the wise son. Well, because, man, I put it in, but there's nothing there. That's American Christianity today. And, you know, digging it up every few days to see how it's doing? That doesn't work well on the process either. Never forget this. Salvation is of the Lord. It's not of you. That's not your part. Jesus saves. You don't. Amen? That's a work of God. 
And sometimes that takes time. Do you really believe the Word of God is that powerful? Do I? I remember a couple years ago, I was in Culpeper, Virginia. The church there is first century Baptist church. Pastor Brown, an old ex-drunk that never had one single minute of Bible college. But he's as real as the day is long. And he's got the pastor there in that little church. And Deb and I come in. We're going to do a four-day conference and try to encourage the people. But that song leader stole it. That first service, man. I mean, he encouraged all of us, myself included. You could see in the middle of the song service, he's just bubbling over. I thought, well, he's just the happy camper. No, he wanted to share something. Finally, he couldn't handle it anymore. He said, I just got to share this. I can't handle it. Before we sing the next hymn, I got to share this. And this is the story he told. He said, you all know I work at an electrical contracting plant. I'm a counterman up there. I fill orders for guys coming in every day. And he said, this last week, just a few days ago, a guy came in. And I filled his orders. I finished filling his order. He said to me, he said, you don't remember me, do you? He said, no, sir, I don't. He said, I didn't remember him. He said, but as he began to share with me what happened six months earlier, all of a sudden, I remembered this guy. Six months earlier, he'd come in. And when he came in to get his order filled, he was one of the meanest customers they ever had. He said, nobody wanted to work with this guy. When he showed up, ponytailed down to his belt, 300 pounds, tatted up, big leather jacket, he's he just mean as a junkyard dog. He said, nobody wanted to work with this guy. They always pushed me to go ahead and fill his order. He said, that day I was filling his order, and he's impatiently waiting, and I'm going to get stuff, and then I look over, and that business has a fishbowl, and in that fishbowl are these things called tiny Bibles, the little Bibles. He said, the guy had picked one out, and he was kind of just looking at it, wondering what it was. And he said, offhand, I said to him, you can, you can keep that, they're free, you can have one. So the guy with a snarl just slid it in his leather coat. The guy said, that thing sat in my coat jacket for probably four months. Completely forgot it existed. But one day, he said, just a couple months ago, I reached in and I felt that. And I said, what in the world is that? And he said, I'm sitting there and I start going through it. He said, I begin to read it. All the verses. And I begin to go through the verses. He said, suddenly, I don't know how to describe this, but I became convicted for my sin. I, I felt sorry for the things I'd done and the things I said. And I began to see I was a sinner. And, and then I saw who God was and I deserved judgment and then who Jesus was. And he said, a day later, he said, I got saved. Just like that. Had he never come back, that guy would have never known what happened to the seed that got sown in his heart? My son called me just a few weeks later, all excited. He said, Dad, you've got to hear this. I said, what? He said, I was at a father-son get-together. We had an overnight, men and boys, and we had preaching and all kinds of stuff. You know, a get-together for guys. And he said, that as we closed out the last day, the second day, he said, men began to come up and give testimonies, teenagers and so forth. And one guy came up, and this is what he said, Dad. He said, he was about a 28-year-old kid. He said, I was raised in a Christian home. I heard the Word of God every weekend. I prayed the prayer multiple times, made lots of professions of faith, but I never got saved. And when I turned 18, he said, I bailed from all that stuff. Mom and Dad were putting me through. And I began to run with the gangs. And I loved the gang life. I loved the high. I liked the rush. He said, every the identity with my bros. He said, I liked every bit of it. But one night, 
A couple years ago, I got on the wrong side of town on the rival gang's turf all by myself. And they caught me. And when they got done with me, they almost killed me. He said, I woke up in the emergency room, tubes everywhere. As they began to go to work on me, he said, I came to find out I was going to be there a long time, a couple weeks. He said, I was clinging by a thread. And this thought came through my mind, well, what if you had died? Where would you have gone? He said, I knew I would have gone to hell. I knew I would have. He, he said, and right behind that thought was this thought. You ought to get saved. And he said, as soon as I thought that thought, my whole being snarled in revulsion. I wanted nothing to do with getting saved. And I pushed that thought away as hard as I could. He said, two days later, Grandpa came to the hospital. Had a marked edition of the Bible. He said, Grandson, I heard you're struggling for life. He said, I heard you're going to be here for a while. He says, I'm going to leave you this Bible. There's verses that are underlined. It starts on page so and so. Now, I'll be praying for you, grandson, that number one, you'll get tired of watching television. And when you get tired of watching television, you'll pick this Bible up and read it. As grandpa disappeared, he said, I kind of went, yeah, yeah, that's grandpa, you know, the religious one. He said, but a few days later, grandpa was right. I got tired of watching television. And I looked over at that Bible and I thought, what could it hurt? And so I picked it up. He said, I began reading those verses, and some of them were very familiar to me. And he said, as I read them, though this time, something was different. The verses seemed to speak to my heart. I became convicted for who I was. That thought I pushed away uh, that Jesus saves. No, all of a sudden I embraced that. He said, I began to warm to the idea of salvation, warm to the idea that I needed Jesus Christ to save me. He said, a couple days later, he said, I got saved. I'm going to tell you something. There's some things we waste. There's some things we do that are an utter waste of time. But sowing God's Word is not. It will not return void. It will accomplish what God pleases it to accomplish. You can never go wrong sowing the seed of God's Word. And you may not see the results until you get to the other side. Amen? This is a big principle. Go back here to Luke chapter 8. I want you to see this. In Luke chapter 8, a number of years ago, both John and I, John House and I, we had the privilege of meeting a man named Paul Vitovich. Paul's the president of the company John and I worked for. He's, uh, he and his wife Kitty saved, love the Lord. Very wealthy people, love the Lord. They're very unique individuals. And Paul came up to our company and Paul held a series of meetings for my business. I remember one day, Paul pulled me aside and he shared something with me that literally revolutionized everything I do in life. And this is what Paul said. He said, David, I'm going to teach you a principle that if you'll take this principle and apply it to your life, it will help you in every area of your life to be more successful. It'll help you in your business. It'll help you in your church ministry. It'll help you in your marriage. It'll help you in raising your children. I said, what's the principle, Vitty? That's what we called him. That was his nickname, Vitty. He said, David, never forget this. If you want to really be successful in life, learn to control the things you can control. And don't try to control the things you can't. Wow. I said, say that to me again, Paul. He said, David, if you want to be successful in whatever you do, learn to control the things you can control. And quit trying to control the things you can't. He said, give that to me in layman's terms. All right, simple. 
He said, can you control who attends your sales meeting in your company? I said, no, you can't. They're 1099. They're contract labor. I cannot require a sales meeting to be mandatory. He said, that's right. You cannot control who shows up for your daily sales meeting. But can you control if you have a good meeting ready and prepared for those who do show up? I said, well, yeah, I can control that. Well, here's what happens, David. Monday comes and three guys show up to your sales meeting. You have 43 guys working for you. Three guys show up for this great meeting. And you go, what in the world? Tuesday comes too. Wednesday comes nobody. And if you're not careful, here's what you're going to say Thursday morning. Why should I get a sales meeting ready for these clowns? They never show up anyhow. Thursday morning, you get nothing ready. And then they all show up. He said, now what do you think is going to happen when they sit down at your unprepared meeting? I said, I know exactly what they're going to say. I don't know why I go to the boss's sales meeting. He never has anything ready for me when I get there anyhow. He said, exactly. Because you tried to control what was out of your control, you stopped controlling what was in your control. Hey, think of your marriage. He turns to the wife and gives one command. Wives, submit. Right? That's her control. He turns to the husband and says what? Husbands, love. Right? That's for his to control. You want to know where your marriage goes sideways? Husbands, you start telling her what you think of her submission. And wives, you start telling him how he doesn't love you anymore. You stepped out of what you could control, tried to control what you couldn't, and the whole thing breaks down. Get your pens out. Watch this. In this area of the harvest field, in these principles of the harvest, look at Luke 8 with me. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. You answer. Number one, let's look at what we can and can't control. In this parable of the sower and the seed, can you and I control their heart? Yes or no? Can you control the heart of a person you give the seed to? Yes or no? No, you can't. You can't control their heart. Number two, can you control their response? No. Can you control the fruit? No. What's the only thing you and I can control in this parable? Look with me in verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed. That's it. That's it. Twelve verses in this entire parable and the following explanation by Jesus Christ. Out of those twelve verses, you know how much the king hands us to control? Less than one half of one verse. That's it. And we won't even do that. Can I make this just a very pointed statement? You and I, as missionaries in America, because that's who we are. You're just passing through this country. Your citizenship is in heaven. You and I, as missionaries in America, have got to learn to do more than just shout at the darkness. We have to control what we can control, and what we can control is giving the seed of God's Word. Giving it out. Amen? You say, well, I don't like where America is. You have only you and me to blame. Because the keepers of this country is not the White House. It's not the courthouse. 
It's not the state house. It's your house. It's my house and the church house. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and as an added bonus, I'll heal their land. Lost people do what lost people always do. Amen? Sinners do what sinners always do. That never changes. God's people have stopped doing what God's people used to do. And I'll tell you what, foreign missions has gone up. Almost every church I go to, the mission budget uh, up. It's up. It's up. Y'all with me? But the Jerusalem is struggling in almost every church. You can't dynamite God's people to just get out there. And I think sometimes you'd rather just pay somebody to do what we should do. So, there's the punch. Alright? I'm an encourager. So let's move to encouragement now, okay? I can present a problem, but I always love to solve them. And I'll tell you, this is very unique. I want to give this to you. Because something in the last few years in my life, has, it's revolutionized my outreach. Go ahead and turn your little handout over if you want to go ahead and prepare to take some notes here. Recognize something, that third principle of the harvest is a big one. And remember, the sowers have only one task, and that's to sow the seed of God's Word. Recognize no seed sown, no harvest reap. And there are many ways to broadcast the seed of God's Word. I have a number of them. Now, I just want to remind you, and I like to ask the question, what's yours? What's yours? Do you have a personal way to get the Word of God out? Into the lives of people that could be utter strangers. Not just the church organized visitation. I'm talking about your daily routine of just bumping into souls. See, the problem with a program is this. You can check your Thursday night box, or you can check your Saturday box, and then you're off the hook the rest of the time. You don't need to worry about it. No, I believe that witnessing is a daily thing. So, I have a lot of ways. What's yours? I've had people say to me, well, I don't like your way. Okay, fair enough. What's yours? And sometimes I'll hear this. Well, you know, I, I just really don't have a way. Well, then I like my way better than your way. Because at least my way gives them the truth, the way, the truth in life. Amen? You don't have to do it the way I do it, but have a way. But could I introduce you? And by the way, I find people sometimes, even those of us that know our Bible, sometimes I hear people say, well, I don't go out because I, I just don't know what to say. I hear that. Oh, I'd like to go, but I, I don't know that much about the Bible. What if they ask a question I don't know the answer to? Let me introduce you to a way that every single one of you here can do. On a daily basis, teenagers could do it. Adults could do it. It's just, it's unbelievable. Go to John, John chapter 4. I want you to see something here. And how I missed this over all these years, I don't understand. But John chapter 4, look at this moment in this lady's life. This is the Samaritan woman. Jesus Christ goes out of his way to introduce himself to her. He slowly unveils to her who he really is and deals with her sin as well. And she gets saved. Notice what immediately happens. She goes out and begins to tell everybody who she just met. You know, she said, come see this man. And, and he told me everything about me. You know, isn't that how the Holy Spirit of God works? He, he just shows who we are. Man, you've got to meet this guy. He changed my life. 
And so they did. And look at verse 39 of John 4. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. That would be Jesus Christ. For the saying of the woman, what she said, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, now we believe, not, not simply because of thy saying, for we've heard him ourselves. And we know that, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Her story pointed these people to Jesus Christ. And they got to hear from Him and got saved. I want you to grab this. I, I, I passed these out. Should be at least one per couple. Yeah, Pastor, you've got... All right, just grab them. And I'm going to do something so unevangelistic. I'm not going to say anything. You're going to read this. Does everybody take this now? Just read it. Start there. Go ahead. Does, does every couple have one? Do you have one, brother? All right, you do now. Momser, you got more? You guys have one? Okay, take time to read it right now. Just, hello, my name is David, and this is my story. Why don't you just read my story? Do you find something out about me? Hello, my name is David, this is my story. When you're done reading, just go ahead and look up, but I'll know you're done. Hello, my name is David. Hey, boys. And this is my story. When you're done reading, just look up and I'll know you've read it. Hello, my name is David. And this is my story. Do you have one? There you go. When you're finished reading, just look up. If you're at home, tuned in online, this is it, right here. That's what we're reading. Alright, when you're finished, look up, then I'll know you've read it. Looks like most are just about done. All right. Almost everybody's done. Just a, just a moment more. Hello, my name is David. This is my story. Okay. How many of you got to read the story? Just slip your hand up real quickly. All right. Second question, how many of you like the story? You like that story? got a good ending, doesn't it? Amen? How many of you, though some of you have known me for many, many years, even our family uh, met, knew our children, how many of you learned something about me right now that you didn't know before in spite of all the years we'd been together? Just raise your hand. Whew. John, are you serious? Man. 525 little words. It's amazing. This has become my favorite way to deal with an absolutely unknown person throughout my course of daily walk. 
This is not in place of the church programs. This is in addition to what you do here as a church family. This has been stunning. I came out with these about three years ago, three and a half maybe years ago. And I remember the first time I tried it, I was in Somerville, Alabama. I was at a post office on a Monday, went ahead and, 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 and got up there, mailed all my packages, and I had one of these, and I said, uh, by the way, what's your name? And I still remember her name. It was Karen. I said, well, Karen, my name's David, and this is my story. I hope you like it. It's got a real happy ending. She picked that thing right up as I'm getting ready to go and starts reading it. And I, I was leaving, and now it's like, okay, all right, I'll wait. And so I just waited her out. She gets all the way done. She goes through on the back. She finishes reading. She goes, wow. I said, do you like my story? That's a great story. I said, is that your story? I, I mean, I wasn't expecting to say it. It just was the automatic response. Is that your story? You got one like that? She said, no, sir, I don't. But would you pray for me? I thought, well, that was just a one-off. Next post office I came to, the line was going out the door. Nine deep, socially distanced, you know. Got up there, a little Filipino girl was there. I said, what's your name, Mary? I, I did all my stuff. I said, well, Mary, my name's David. And this is my story. I think you're going to like my story. It's got a real happy ending. She did the same thing. She starts reading it. I'm in, a, I'm in a post office line. You need to understand, people are waiting for the open slot to mail. And I'm gumming it up, giving the gospel. And I'm like, oh, I hope they think I'm doing business. So I just waited her out. She finished reading it, and I said, do you like my story? She got this big smile. She said, I love your story. She said, that's my story. Wow. I said, I'm on to something here. I've never had that response for any tract I've given out for all the years I've been saved. So then I started really going after it. Came to a Dunkin' Donuts health food. I remember I put my little order in, you know, this morning I shared I love to read my Bible publicly. And so I brought my Bible and, 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 and just going to spend an hour there. I placed my order and I gave the little girl there. She's about 24, 25 years old. I said, here's my, I said, what's your name? And I said, well, my name's David. This is my story. And I think you're going to like it because it's got a real happy ending. And when, before I leave, I want you to tell me what you think of my story. So she took it. I'm, I'm doing all that I do. When I finished up, I just, from here to pastor, I say, hey, did you read my story? Did you like my story? The whole Dunkin' Donuts team fanned out. And they said, oh, we all have, man, we all read. They passed that thing around. They all fanned out. Again, I've never had that result, response from any tract I've given out. I came and rented a car. I was coming in for a funeral a couple of years ago. Gave the man there one of these. I said, that's my story. I think you're going to like it. It's got a real happy ending. He took and read it right there. Reads it all. He looks at me and said, may I keep this? I said, well, sure. Why? He said, I coach a Little League's girls softball team. And one of the churches that I play, every time I go, my girls play his, that pastor's, that pastor over there is trying to tell me this story every time our girls play. Came into a Schlotzky's. Who knows what a Schlotzky's is? Serious, seriously good sandwich. And now they've merged with Cinnabon. Did you know that? That's a dangerous combo. You go into a Schlotzky's now, you're, you're going to be signing up for Weight Watchers afterwards. But I went into a Schlotzky's and took an assistant pastor out to encourage him in Texas. And we, we ordered up and I gave the lady my story and, and, and 
said, go ahead and read that before I leave. I'm going to ask you what you think of it. And so she obviously did because seven minutes later she brings us our food. I said, did you get to read my story? She said, I did. Did you like it? She said, I did. That's a great story. I said, is that your story? I'll never forget what she did. She got down on one knee right by my table. She was about 55 years old. I still remember she said that to me. She said, no, sir, she said. I'm shacked up right now. I'm not living right. That is not my story. I said, do you understand this story that I have can be your story too? Because Jesus died for you as much as he did for me. I said, I understand that. We talked for a bit, prayed for her. She had to get right back to the counter and work. I'm not kidding you. This silly little thing came to a Longhorn Steakhouse. Went out, had lunch, gave the waitress my story. A month later came through that same steakhouse between Sunday morning and Sunday night. The pastor, assistant pastor took me out to lunch, Deb and I out to lunch. As we sat down in the Longhorn, the little, the, the little waitress comes over and, and I turn to her and she looks at me and she goes, you're David, just like that. One month later, I said, yeah. I said, you liked my story. She said, that's an amazing story. She said, I'm the manager here. I have your story on the bulletin board right now and every person we hire, we make them read your story. I could go for an hour. I thought, why in the world has this been so easy and so effective? It's, it's this simple. What's your name? Oh, Daniel, my name's David. That's my story. I think you're going to like it. It's got a real happy ending. That's it. Right? What's your name? John. John. My name's David. That's my story. I think you're going to like my story. It's got a real happy ending. I, literally, you give me ten minutes, I have every one of you parroting those words. It's that hard. It's that easy. I thought, what in the world? You know, I've given out over 4,000 of these and yet have not experienced my first rejection. Even if they think it's religious, they take it and want to read it. Why? Why is that, for all the years I've done it, why has this become such an incredible, I call it kind of an icebreaker? Well, first of all, maybe you want to jot this down. I'm a guy that when something's working, I try to figure it out. Why? Number one, write this down. It's very biblical offering the gospel this way. It's very biblical. The Apostle Paul, he stands before kings, he stands before governors, and they begin to question him about his faith. You know where he always went back to? Well, let me tell you about that day. I was on a road to Damascus, Acts 22, one time. Acts 26, twice. And he just told them what happened to him when he met Jesus. Y'all with me? Mark chapter 5, the demoniac of Gadara gets saved. He wants to be with Jesus. He said, no, 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 no. You go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for thee. And when that next crowd came, I'm telling you, people were waiting for him. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. She didn't preach to those men. She just said, come meet a guy told me everything, I, everything I've done. Is not this the Christ? Number one... This is very biblical. Amen? It's very biblical. Number two, this is big. It's very personal. It's very personal. 
Here's a million-dollar question. Do we promote a religion or a relationship? What is Christianity? Is it a religion or a relationship? It's a relationship. You say, oh, you just want me to be a member of your church. No! Because going into a church doesn't make you a Christian anymore. Going in a barn makes you a horse. That's not the goal. The goal is to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who saves you from your sin. Amen? Now, what better way to promote a vertical relationship than starting with a horizontal one? This isn't just cold, generic doctrine. Y'all with me? People can, t- the people can toss that so easily. This is my story. I'm giving a slice of me when I hand this out. And it reeks of relationship. Amen? Number two, it's personal. Number three, here's something else I've discovered. It is very hard to discredit. This is very hard to discredit. You stop and think about it. You know, if somebody ever said to me, well, I don't believe that happened. I'd say, well, trust me, it did. I was there. I was an eyewitness when I got saved. You know what I'm saying? It's very hard to discredit. This is why somebody with a weird story, you've got to get them, you know, they're not saved and they had some weird vision. You know what I mean? That's an experience. It's hard to discredit something somebody experienced. And to get through that is very hard. But something good is equally hard to discredit. Amen? Number four, if you're taking notes, write this one down. I believe this is very effective because it causes them to consider their story. It causes them to consider their story. It's just natural. When I give one of these out, it's so easy. I'll say, hey, my name's David. This is my story. I hope you like it. It's got a super happy ending. And then when I come back and I say, how'd you like my story? They'll tell me. And I say, you got a story like that? It just automatically makes them think of their story. Amen? Fifthly, I wrote this one down. It's easy to build on. It's very easy to build on. Now, I have this only in compressed time as an evangelist because I'm usually in one area for five days. But if I'll go to a certain place, maybe Panera Bread, I get my breakfast, I hand one out. The next time I come through, after I've talked to that person, I'll bring another different track with. Maybe it's This Was Your Life. Maybe it's a church track, inviting them to come join me in the services that week. Let me just tell you, here's what's interesting. You'll notice I didn't put a church name on here. I've watched people get this thing and flip it automatically, looking to see what religion is being peddled. Y'all with me? I ain't pushing a religion. I'm talking about a relationship. We'll get to that other stuff later about where you should fellowship once you get saved. Amen? But there'll be times I'll come through. I always start with this, and then I build on it. And eventually, you guys are in a situation where you can see people over and over and over again. Easy to say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? There's a whole bunch of people down there that have a story just like mine. Amen? Very easy to build on. And it is hard to reject. They have to reject you. Y'all with me? Let me tell you something. Some of you guys are chewing on this right now. Let me just say this. When you can do 4,000 of these and never have one rejection, and these are utter strangers, there's something here that's unique. Y'all with me? There's something here that works. It's, it's very powerful. We introduced this to a little church of 19 people. 
about two years ago. This little church never knew what a tract was. Yeah, I, th- I didn't think such a thing existed. Had Baptist on the name. Stumbled across it, decided to just roll our sleeves up and go to work for a few days. That little church, and by the way, if you were under 60, they put you in the nursery in this church. And that wasn't as a worker. You were the one they watched because you were the little kid. This is a rest home retirement church of 19 people. Zero evangelism. They heard, I shared this thought to them. They, nine of them got their stories done in the next month. And the last time I checked, they were going through revival. The pastor read his story from the pulpit Sunday morning. And a visiting 55-year-old man got saved just listening to the pastor's story. There's something about it. Came to Brother Perkins. You know Brother Perkins down in Ocean Springs, Mississippi? Paul Perkins? Came into their church, man. They're in revival. I said, what's going on? COVID had them kind of half-shifting it. So they decided they'd have two people every service share their testimony, who they were, and then when they got saved. People didn't even know everybody's backgrounds. We came in there two weeks into that deal. This place was on fire. Because all they'd ever seen was the finished product. Oh, you're saved. You're forgiven. Great. You're in church. You don't swear anymore. You don't do drugs anymore. You know, and then they found out who these people were before Jesus Christ. And they couldn't believe it. God became so real. And isn't that how the song says it? I love to tell the story. Of unseen things above. Jesus is so unseen today in America. Of Jesus and His glory. Of Jesus and His love. I love to tell that story. It did so much for me. And that is just the reason I tell it now to thee. If I asked you for your story, do you have one? Could you tell me about the day your paths crossed with Jesus Christ and He became your Savior? Oh, I was raised in a Christian home preacher. You know, I just do what mom and dad... Listen, God has no grandchildren. Only children. I don't care how many years you sat in a Christian home there still has to be the moment your faith finds a resting place in Jesus Christ alone. And you become a child, born again, a child of this King. This has become my favorite. Utter strangers just opens the door. And I could literally stand for an hour. I collect them now. I collect these things. I've got a whole collection. I forgot to bring them just to fan them out. The Chinese girl's second daughter, raised in China, raised in a closet, illegal to be a second baby girl. Came across to the, through the, the sorority system and colleges, got saved. Her story closes, my name's Megan. From, the, from, the, the, from a closet in China to the kingdom of heaven, my name's Megan and this is my story. Got a Puerto Rican gang member. He's got his in Spanish and English. He says, from the streets of Puerto Rico, 
to the halls of heaven. My name is, and this is my story. I love collecting them. They make God and show Him for who He really is so real. He's a life-changing God. By the way, just one thing you want to jot down. I didn't finish this thought. Just jot it in there. There's a blank, and we'll close tonight. Three principles of the harvest. Look at the little blank I left you with on the back side of those notes. It was a quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Listen to what Spurgeon said. He said this. Spurgeon, by the way, a Calvinist, who wrote a book called The Soul Winner, that I had to read twice a year when I went through my three-year church pastor's class. Twice a year, Gary Prist made me read that book. Twice a year, six times in those three years. You know what Spurgeon said? Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Wow. If you're really saved, you can't help it. You've got to tell others where the water is. Amen? You've got to tell others who Jesus is. Either a missionary or an imposter. Three principles of the harvest. The harvest is harvest. The fields have only one owner. Principle number one. Principle two, the laborers should have only one desire. And principle three, the sowers have only one task. That is to sow the seed of God's Word. That's what sowers do. That's what He gives us that we can control. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You tonight for this reminder that in some ways, Lord, I know was not always gentle, but so necessary. And Lord, we thank You. We pause to thank You for the day that someone told us what happened to them and how they got saved. And they wanted to see us saved. And Lord, help us, Lord, to duplicate that. Help us, Lord, not to have the truth just sit with us. Help us to claim the promise. Your word does not return void. It will accomplish that exactly what you want it to accomplish. And it will prosper in the way you sent it. Help us, Lord, to be willing to share our story with others, even strangers. And Lord, in the day in which we live, help us to recognize our task is to sow the seed. Help us to control this. Control what you gave us to control and not, Lord, not try to control everything else that's out of our control, but it is in yours. Bless this thought. Help us, Lord, as your people to be a good witness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed for just a moment. Won't make this long. Just for a moment and then we'll close. Music's playing softly. If you need to slip out and pray, maybe you just need to say, Lord, help me be a witness. Help me be a witness. Maybe you're here tonight say, man, I don't know. I hope preacher doesn't ask me for my story. I don't have one. I honestly don't know when I got saved. Well, you right. you'd have the Lord write one tonight. Amen. Hear ye the master's call. Where are you in the message? When's the last time you just sowed some seed? You sowed some seed. No shortage of darkness. No shortage of harvest. I don't know about you, but a lot of times, to me, the hardest part, I'm just so proud. I don't want to get rejected. So I don't want to go out there and get rejected. So I don't go sometimes. 
really not rejecting you. They're rejecting him. Do you know what I need to be about this? Days are getting darker. Come on, you've got a story. If you're saved, music's playing softly. What's God telling you to do tonight? We're missionaries. America needs us to be the salt and light. Whether they like it or not, they need us to sow the seed. To bring them to a point where they're confronted with truth. And really, this way, for me, it's so soft, it's so sweet. I, I just People appreciate me just sharing my story. I'm opening my heart for a moment. And what I get back from them is unbelievable. The times to deal with people have been unbelievable. Just because I shared my heart and shared what Jesus did for me just opens them up. Not beating them up with Scripture. I'm just loving on them and telling them what Jesus did for me. It's just, I don't know how else to explain it. I've been stunned. I've been absolutely stunned by the fruit that's come from this. But whether you use this or some other way, have a way. Have a way. God's people said. Let's grab a hymnal. Can we turn to 283? We'll sing first and last verse, 283. Kind of tie up. I'm thinking of the morning message and then tonight. This would just tie it up so well. 283. So little time. Do you know that one, sis? So little time the harvest will be over our reaping done, we reapers taken home. Report our work to Jesus, Lord of harvest, and hope he'll smile, and that he'll say, well done. Today we reap or miss our golden harvest. Today is given us lost souls to to save some dear ones from the burning. Today we'll go to bring some sinners. On that final verse, on the final verse. The harvest wide with reapers to his wasting and many souls will die and never know the love of Christ the joy of sins forgiven. Oh, let us weep and love and pray and go. Sing it out. Today we reap or miss our golden harvest. Today is given us lost souls to win. Oh, let you save some dear one from the burning. Today we'll go to bring some sinner in. All of God's people said.
Pastor, if you could come and just dismiss us as you see fit. Amen. Amen. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. All right. We're going to pray and be dismissed for the summer door. Thank you. I appreciate that. We got the fellowship right afterwards. There's also the meeting.